0: The is very clear that the key to success in life is obedience. Obedience is a very special, a very important word. Obedience is not just do right, obedience is bigger than that. Obedience is tied specifically to the Lord's instructions. I'm not against this thing, and it's been around for a number of years. You know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's fine. I'm I'm happy that, that uh, man, most people in the world know what that means. However, I don't want to just sit around and, and think, I wonder what Jesus would do. And let me, you know what? I've decided that this is what Jesus would do. I prefer to see what Jesus did and follow his example. See, me deciding what Jesus would do That still leaves room for me to do what I want to do. But obedience is when I look at what God says to do, and I do it. I don't know. He said, Pastor, is there anything that you're not against and that you won't slam? No, I'm not slamming it. I'm not against it. I just think a lot of our trendy things, they fall just short of the Bible standard. The Bible gives us clear instructions on some things. And when we do what the Bible says, that's obedience. And when we obey, that's the key to victory. When God says, do this, and we do it. Now, there's not instructions. they are not specific instructions for every circumstance of your life, but there are principles for every circumstance of your life. And when we obey God's principles and his commands and his instructions, That's the key to victory. Obey God's word and God will bring you to victory. And yet, throughout the Bible, you find examples of people who did obey God and obedience got them into trouble. Joseph obeyed God and it landed him in prison. David obeyed God. And he wound up being a, a fugitive in the nation. Elijah obeyed God. and He wound up on Queen Jezebel's most wanted list. He wound up at the top of her most wanted list because he obeyed God. And I bet if you have tried to live an obedient Christian life for very long, I bet there have been times in your life when you said, You know what? I know. I came to a difficult choice. I obeyed God in that choice, and I got grief as a result. Now, obedience doesn't always lead you to grief, but sometimes it seems like this trouble came as a direct result of obeying God. That's exactly what happened to the woman that we read about in the Bible just a few minutes ago in the first six verses of 2 Kings chapter 8. This woman is the woman that elsewhere we know of as the Shunammite woman. This is a woman and her husband that had served the Lord, and they had been a special blessing, a special help to the prophet Elisha, and their relationship lasted. I'm talking about their uh, their service for the Lord as partners with Elisha lasted. If you look at all the events involved, lasted At least 15 years, maybe 20, maybe more years. For all those years, this woman that we call the Shunammite woman and her husband had served the Lord and been a help and a blessing in the ministry of Elisha for upwards probably of 20 years, at least 15 years. And the, the, the relationship began... Very early on, when they were there and they had their land and they had their house, and they noticed that this preacher would come by and he'd stop in and he he would be on his way somewhere else. And one day, this woman said to her husband, You know, we've got some land here, we've got some resources. Let's put a little addition on the house so that when the preacher's passing through and he's got his servant with him, they can, anytime, they can just come in and they can stay there and they can count on it, they'll have a place to stay when they're in our area. That's a pretty big undertaking. Put an addition on your house just to be a blessing to a preacher who's traveling through. By the way, that is the origin of what we call a prophet's chamber. Many churches have a prophet's chamber, a place where uh, anytime a missionary's in the area or a traveling preacher and they need a place to stay, hey, just give us a call. We'll put you in the prophet's chamber. And that's what this couple did for the prophet Elisha. We're going to put an addition on the house so that Elisha and his team, one guy, ten guys, whoever's with them, they can stay in there. And Elisha stayed there many times. Something else that happened with this Shunammite woman and Elisha. She and her husband, they were, they were getting on in years and they didn't have any children. They were barren and Elisha said, you know what? I, the Lord has put it on my heart to pray for you and I've prayed for you that God would give you a child and the Lord has told me to tell you that he is going to give you a child. And God did give them a son in answer to prayer. Something else had happened. That child was born, and he got a little bit older. And he, as a young man, he was out working in the field one day, and he came running in from the field, holding his head. And they took him to his mother, and she was holding him, and his head is pounding, and he died with his head in his mother's lap. His mother, this is this same Shunammite woman. She's grief stricken, and she. Sends for the preacher, and and there's some circumstances in there, but ultimately Elisha comes to them, and Elisha and the power of God raises that boy from the dead. Elisha and this woman have been through an awful lot together, and and, and her family, they were dear friends of Elisha, the man of God. So now we come, after all of this has happened, we come to chapter 8. And Elisha, the preacher, receives of the Lord that there's going to be a famine in the land where she lives. And so he goes to the lady and he says, look at uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go thou in thine household, and sojourn, wheresoever thou canst sojourn. He didn't tell them where to go. He didn't tell them where not to go. Just wherever you can find a place. And sojourn means live there temporarily. Live there as a guest. Don't move there. Live there as a guest. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. So this is a pretty big set of instructions here. I've gotten word from the Lord. The word of the Lord says there's going to be a famine in the land, and God said, uh, move and just stay away for seven years. I can't imagine being away from my house for a year, seven years. He said, go away, and God will take care of you. So what do they do? They obey the word of the Lord. They They didn't take any time to say, you know, I wonder Elisha's a good man and we're good friends, but I'm, you know, I'm is that from God or is that just Elisha talking and what they they obeyed. They took the preacher's word. They said, "You know what? He would never have told us emphatically to do this thing if he weren't convinced before God that this is what we should do." And so they obeyed the word of the Lord. They got up, they moved. Look at verse 2. The woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. Well, excellent. They obeyed. They missed the famine. They they ate while other people went without. Because they obeyed the word of the Lord, everything's great. Until they come back home. They come back home and they find out that because they left for seven years, they have lost the family farm. It wasn't taken over by the government. It was taken over just, you know, a bunch of, bunch of hippies moved in. Now you go and there's, you know, there's marijuana growing in the cornfield and there's music blaring and empty beer bottles all over the place. And I can picture the woman going up and trying to find a guy that looks like he's in charge and saying, Hey, what are you doing? This is, this is our place. And they essentially tell her to get lost. Get out of here. You think you are. So they missed their fa- the famine, great. <laughs> but they lost their property. So obedience at first <clears throat> brought them a blessing, but now it's brought them a, a major problem. It's brought them grief. So what does the woman do? That stinking Elisha, I'm going to find him. I'm going to give that big, arrogant know-it-all. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. No, she didn't do that. No, she didn't do that. Why? Because she had a heart for the Lord. Let me tell you, when you have a heart for the Lord, you have a heart for the people of the Lord. When your heart is right with God, your heart is right with God's people. So you don't get an attitude every time you have an excuse to get an attitude. And she didn't get an attitude. Let's look at what she did. She followed the proper legal procedure. Verse number 3. came to pass at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines. And she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. Listen. When your heart is right with the Lord, you're living obediently. And things go wrong and things happen and your obedience seems like it has brought you problems. And by the way, your obedience to the Lord in a sinful world is going to bring you problems. When it happens, don't freak out. Follow the proper God-given procedure like the woman did. Look at verse verse number 4. When you follow the proper God-given procedure, God causes everything to fall into place. Look at verse 4. The king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. So now the scripture is leaving the scene where the woman is. The, The woman is on her way now. She's traveling to see the king. So it leaves her for a little bit, and it jumps into the palace. And there's the king. And he's talking to this man, Gehazi, and we'll talk about him in a second. The king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. Now, time out. If you go back and you read the previous chapters, you're going to learn a couple of things about Gehazi. First of all, you're going to find out that Gehazi used to work for Elisha. He was Elisha's servant. In fact, Gehazi had stayed in that prophet's chamber. If you read carefully, you'll see he had stayed in that prophet's chamber. You'll also find out, if you go back and read a few chapters, that Gehazi had been fired by Elisha. Why? Because he was a weasel, he was a thief, he was a liar. And he thought that he had pulled off a pretty good con behind Elisha's back until he came back and faced Elisha. And Elisha said, oh, where where were you? Oh, you were out, and he named all of Gehazi's crimes. Listen, don't think you're ever going to succeed at doing something behind God's back. You say, well, Elisha wasn't God. No, but you'd be surprised at how God lets his servants know what's going on. Gehazi thought, man, I pulled a fast one. I stole some stuff, and now I made up a story to cover my tracks, and boy, I'm in a good shape. And Elisha said, where you been? And Gehazi said, oh, I was just, uh, you know, I, yeah, yeah mm mm-hmm. And Elisha said, you went and you ripped off Naaman, didn't you? He said, this isn't a time for getting rich. This is a time for loving people and serving the Lord. You're fired. So Gehazi, this guy that's talking to the king in verse 4, he used to work for Elisha. Now he's been fired. But something else you'll find out in that very same account of him being fired is that he is a leper. So wait a minute. Why in the world is Gehazi now working for the king of Israel? The Bible doesn't tell us. What is a leper doing working so closely with the king? The leper's supposed to be outside in a leper colony. What's he doing sitting in there talking to the king? The Bible doesn't tell us. Wait a minute. Why, it's been at least seven years, probably much more than that, but at least seven years since Gehazi has had any connection to this woman and to Elisha. Why at this precise moment was Gehazi, what what made the king at that precise moment say, Gehazi, you used to work for Elisha. Tell me some stories about some things that Elisha did. Why at that moment were they talking about Elisha and about this woman and her family? The the Bible doesn't tell us that either. But what the Bible does tell us is that as she is on her way to see the king to pour out her grievance as as a legal act, king, this is my story. This is what happened. Have mercy. And, and she thought she's, I'm walking in there. This is a cold appointment. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. All I have is the law and what's going to happen. That's what she's thinking. But here's what happens. Verse 5. It came to pass as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life that behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, my lord, O king, this is the woman. This is her son whom Elisha restored to life. This is unbelievable. Gehazi hasn't had any connection to this woman in seven years. She's been out of the country. And for some reason at this random moment. The king says, you used to work for Elisha. Tell me some things that happened when you worked for Elisha. And Gehazi tells some stories. I'm sure he told about Naaman. I'm sure he told about some other things, but he says, let me tell you about this one woman, king. I would be surprised if there were other people in the court there that are listening because the further you go into this story, the more interesting it gets. I used to work with Elisha, and we used to pass through this one place, and there was a lady there that loved the Lord, and her husband loved the Lord, and they they loved the Lord so much that when they found out that we were servants of the Lord, they, they put an addition on their house just so that they could make a room for us. So that anytime we were in the area. We would have a place to stay. And it was great, King. We we didn't even ha- we didn't have to make reservations. We didn't have to knock on the door and ask permission. They, there was a separate entrance so we could just walk in there and have our own private place. It was great. They were so good to us. And, King, Elisha really appreciated what the Lord did so that he began to pray, Lord, what can we do to show this couple what can we do to show this couple our gratitude? And the Lord put it on Elisha's heart, king, that they, they didn't have any children. And so God was going to give them a child. And I'll never forget, king, the day that Elisha went to the couple and said, wouldn't you love to have a child? Oh, we would, but that just hasn't been our lot. And Elisha said, I've been praying. And the Lord put it on my heart that you're going to have a son. And king, the lady said, hey, hey, don't kid me. Don't joke like that. Don't, don't. Elisha said, no, I'm telling you, you're going to have a son. And sure enough, it was a wonderful thing. When that baby boy came along and they were so excited, and we went by, we were traveling through, and we stopped the house, and there was that baby boy, and we'd pass through from time to time and, and we watched him grow up, and it was a wonderful thing. You've never seen a mommy and a daddy love a little boy like they love that boy. Oh, but King, you you wouldn't you wouldn't believe it. And I mean everybody in the everybody in the room there is just captivated by this. Don't forget they didn't have TV, they didn't have Netflix, they didn't have YouTube. They they just loved a good story. So they were captivated. Oh, king, it was it was such a sad day. I was with Elisha and the word came that the boy had died. And first Elisha sent me and I got to be honest king for all of my praying and everything I I tried to do I couldn't help them and it broke my heart I couldn't help them but then finally Elisha came and there the, that, that, that woman was weeping and crying and, and dad's heart was broken and everybody that worked for them and all their neighbors everybody was grief stricken I mean the whole community was broken hearted for their boy who had died and everybody in the room there listening to Gehazi tell the stories, crying. and Oh, it's so sad. And Elisha went in and raised that boy from the dead by the power of God. And I can hear people begin to clap and, oh, that's so good. And right at that point, a servant walks in from the other room and says, uh King, excuse me, my lord. And the king, wiping the tears from his eyes, he said, yes, what is it? There's a woman outside that has an urgent need, and she has petitioned to see you immediately. And the king said, oh, what a horrible time. Gehazi, hold your place. I want to hear more about this, but you'll excuse me. Send her in. And the woman walks in the room for her appointment just randomly. And Gehazi says, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And the king says, what is it? He goes, that's the woman. That's the woman I was just telling you about. That's the woman. The king said, are you out of your mind? And so the king asked the woman to tell the story that Gehazi had just told them. Look at verse number 6. When the king asked the woman, she told him. He wanted to hear if her story was going to be the same as his story, I think. When the king asked the woman, she told him. What's the result? So the king appointed unto her a certain officer saying, restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. So she walks in, and right away the king says, tell me about your son. And she must have been, how does the king know about my son? And then I wouldn't be surprised if she's going, by the way, I know that guy from somewhere. Where do I recognize him from? I don't know. But anyway, okay, yeah, and she tells a story about her son. And then she tells a story about her land and about the people who have come in and taken over her her property. And king, what can happen? She walked in there thinking that this was just going to be a random quarter. Have you ever been in court? And you were thinking, man, I wonder what the judge is going to do, and especially if you know, uh, just just stupid little things, traffic court or something like that. Traffic court is the furthest I've ever had to go, and and uh, uh, just, just stu- and, and you wonder what you know, what kind of mood is the judge going to be in, or whatever. <laughs> how's this going to go? And I'm sure she's thinking, how's this? How's the king going to treat me? She doesn't know. God has been preparing the king. God had the king practically crying for this lady. You know how, you've watched a sad story before, and at the end you're just like, oh, you're so wonderful. I wish I could meet you. I wish I could help you. You know, fictitious guy on the screen. I wish I could do something for you. You're so wonderful. That's where the king is when she, oh, this lady, I wish I could meet her. And, you know, it's it's. (laughs) here's my woman, you know, she walks in ready to to get the blessing. God totally sets this up for her. And the ultimate result is, did you read the end of verse number 6? Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land. He said, I want you to figure out what her farm would have produced over the last seven years and reimburse her. This is God's way of paying her back everything that she lost by losing, by by leaving her home for seven years. I mean, you talk about exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think, her loss becomes a greater win. Only God could do that, and it all happened because she obeyed the word of the Lord. When you live a life of obeying God, God makes everything fall into place in his timing. Listen, listen carefully. God doesn't just do that for the pastor. In fact, if the pastor doesn't live obediently, he doesn't do it for me. He doesn't do that for his, you know, God plays favorites. No, he doesn't. He doesn't pick out somebody randomly and say, Well, I really like them because they have the Lord's Prayer on a plaque in their living room. So, I really like them. No, he does not. He will do what he did for that woman. For every person in this room who will strive to live obediently. Doesn't mean you're perfect because none of us are, none of us can be. But who strive to live obediently. In other words, I will do that because the Lord says to do it. It will change your entire life and your relationship with God when you decide to live your life doing right because God said to do it, doing a particular thing because God says to do it and you want to please him. God, give us Christians again in America who have a heart to please you. Christianity, America, we have a heart. How do we get more stuff from God? How do we get God to pour out more goodies? Or or this, what do I have to do? And where does the Bible say that I have to do that? Or this, well, I believe in grace and grace means I can do whatever I want. And none of that is scriptural. Here's what is scriptural. When you love him, you want to do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. If you love me, you'll want to please me. And when you live your life to please the Lord, to please the Lord, hey, don't live your life to please the pastor, don't live your life to please other believers. Hunger and thirst to please the Lord. And when you come to that place, you will find God doing things exactly as he did for this woman. Things will fall into place in your life like you would not believe. I'll give you a few thoughts. We'll be all finished. We're almost done here. Obeying the Lord always results in an immediate good, but obeying the Lord also often results in an unanticipated evil. How many times have I heard a Christian say, you know, I I made a decision for God and things got a little better and then they went like worse than they've ever been. You should expect that for a lot of reasons. One reason that happens, by the way, is before you started obeying God, Satan pretty much had you where he wanted you. But when you start living obediently, you stir things up. You get Satan's attention. You say, hey, he's stepping out of line. She's stepping out of line. We can't let that happen. He starts to stir things up in your life. When you experience the evil, don't lose sight of the good that obedience brought you. Uh, Don't forget, nice lady, Shunammite woman, if you had stayed in your house instead of listening to Elisha, you might have starved to death. And don't forget, if you didn't starve to death, you might have lost your farm anyway. Because the famine would have made it so that you couldn't buy and sell, you couldn't trade, even if you could plant crops and they would grow, you wouldn't be able to sell them anywhere, you might have had your farm taken anyway. You might have lost everything. And don't lose sight of the good that obedience brought you. Don't get in your little pity party when you think you're living right and things don't go like you want them to. Don't sit there and pout and think, oh, I'm trying live for God and everything going wrong. And if you're truly living a life of, obedience to God, you won't get better at God. You, you won't go around saying, I'm such a good Christian, but I was mistreated by church people. I was, I was church hurt. There's not a godly Christian in the whole Bible that responded to trouble that way. Not a one. Obedience, obedient Christians never respond to trouble that way. Stop letting memes and hashtags drive your faith. Stop basing your faith on some post that you read or on some book that somebody writes that is supposedly quoting Jesus and let your faith be driven by this book right here that is the word. these, These words are the words of God. When you experience evil, Don't lose sight of the good that obedience brought you. When you experience the evil, don't complain to people about God. Listen, God will let you complain to him in your private place of prayer. That, I mean, there's so much of the book of Psalms that testifies to that, where David complains to God and and goes to God and say God I got to tell you I don't think this is right I don't think this is fair just David and God but it's something different when you go and you say man this this isn't fair and and, and so I'm going to tell Robert about it Robert I got to tell you something man God has cheated me whoa now now you've become a witness against God and I'll tell you something else. When I go to Robert and I say, i got to tell you something. Those people at that church, you know, the one that, said, that, that uh, talks about Jesus and the Bible and God, they, they're, just, they're so unfair. I don't care what church you go to. I would recommend that you not go criticizing your church to a lost world. When these folks go out there and you know they they go and they and these talk shows and they get interviewed and they they say I just I just was, was was hurt at church, um, you're doing exactly what the lost world wants you to do. They don't like God, they don't like God's church. And when you when you point an accusing finger at God's church, you're they're they're loving that. And while you're being satisfied that <laughs> I sure made them look stupid. What the lost world is hearing is, you sure made God look stupid. They're loving it. Be careful about complaining about God and his works to other people. No. That's not what this woman did. She just followed the proper Procedure, when you experience the evil, keep the situation in God's hands by following the proper path with dealing with the evil. Ask God for wisdom. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That's not just a slogan. It's the scriptural way to proceed in every conflict of life. And God wants to step in for you like he stepped in for this woman. I used three examples of the bill, uh, at the beginning, Joseph and David and Elijah. Yes, Joseph's obedience led him to prison, but ultimately, because he responded properly, it wound, he wound up in the palace. David's obedience initially made him a fugitive, but ultimately, he wound up in the palace. Elijah's obedience, yes, initially, it put him on Jezebel's wanted list, most wanted list, but... Ultimately, it led him to a young man plowing in a field whom God said, anoint him. He's going to take your place, and I'm going to take you to heaven. See, when you respond properly to the evil that obedience sometimes brings, God takes you to the ultimate good result. Obedience to God ultimately makes things better than they otherwise could have been. You know this verse. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. 60 seconds. (laughs) I obeyed the Lord and things got good for a while, but then they got bad. That's been my experience more times than I can count. And I can testify to you that when you continue in obedience... God makes things better than they were before. God makes things better than they otherwise could possibly have been. Father, I pray today.